A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I am Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamant. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you today, Robert? Today, Russell, I am feeling chatty. <laughs> like a chatty, chatty, funny man. Um, and that's very handy, isn't it? Because today's guest is here to do something very special, which is turn the tables on Talkart and mm-hmm. um, will become the interviewer instead of the interviewee. And today is a special day because we, it is the day our second book, Talkart, the interviews, which is Woo-woo. also very chatty because you and I have been chatting for about hundreds of hours, literally hundreds mm-hmm. of hours, um, over the past few years since 2018. And our new book, Talk Out the Interviews, is actually very different to the first one. It includes 24 interviews and it is out now. You can get it from Waterstones and all bookshops around the world. So um, we are here to talk about ourselves. So we may as well get straight to today's guest, but I just want to quickly say something about him. He is a shining light. He's someone that has made all of our lives so much better over the past yeah, yeah. few decades. I loved him when he first appeared on our screens um, on like all those sort of chat shows on Channel 4 or ITV or all the different ones. And also he's a friend of Adele. So any friend of Adele is a friend of ours. And um, I just love him. And I've met him one, <laughs> once before. Oh, but get I know on you, with it. Get I know on with it. Russell, just say my Russell's name. Come a very, on, please. A very good friend of yours, Russ. So we would like <laughs> to welcome to Talk Art the global icon that is. Alan Carl. Carl. Listen, I didn't recognise myself there with that intro. I was looking behind me going, who the hell? Global icon? Well, I suppose. Listen, oh, listen. Hearts, Alan. Oh, you are so sweet. Listen, you are right. I am a phenomenon, but also your podcast is a phenomenon, isn't it? I've, I've seen the five million downloads, 200 Six now. Six, six million. Mi- six million down. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Two hundred. You need to sort that out in your book because I got that fact in your book. <laughs> you need to get the tipex out. No, it's literally this week though. Like the week oh. the book comes out, we uh, we hit six thousand. Uh, sorry, six million. Six million. I'm yeah. so tired. It's gone down. Six million. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone down since I've started interviewing you. I, my, Alan Carr, the brand is so toxic that um, <laughs> I can see your book being pulped by the end of this. No, don't. Britney be Spears wrote a song about you. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <laughs> now listen, <laughs> and now it goes out in 170 countries. And mm. and reading reading the intro to the book as well, isn't it wonderful that actually artists 
listen to your podcast. Isn't that nice that they listen to it as well? You must be so chuffed <laughs> that. Yeah, really handy. Yeah, yeah but it's incre- it, is, it, is, it is incredibly humbling to know that, you know, we are art geeks and we've created this thing because we love art. And artists have told us time and time again that they're in their studios and they put talk art on and they just have it in the background while they're working. And not only that, we are connecting to people outside of the art world and they're having the same experience and they're going about their days. And it's just uh, the phenomenon of art and how art does actually connect everybody is such an amazing thing. I think also in the pandemic, the podcast really blew up and also our first book got really popular because it came out when all the bookshops were closed and we were like, oh my God, it's going to be, you know, it won't sell or whatever. But instead it did the opposite because actually everybody wanted the book in their homes with these beautiful pictures, with the stories of artists. And I think it does kind of bring hope and inspiration to so many people. And there's also loads of like fashion designers and like filmmakers and like architects who listen to it in the office or like, you know, in in their studios in their where they're making all their fancy clothes and stuff it's wild like to think the kind of different places people hear it and you actually say in the book that covid in a way we were all bored at home you got access to some amazing guests including elton john i mean how amazing is that and what the joy of the, the podcast is and especially the book you find out different things about i didn't know piers brosnan was a painter. I didn't know Paul Smith went to the Slade Art School. And I, I didn't know Elton collected so much photography. I mean, tell us about that. I mean, when did you hear that Elton wanted to chat to you? Well, I'd been trying to pin him down and it, he'd always been super busy, obviously doing tours and everything. I think being the one Elton now that he's just... Being Elton John around the world. That's and he a was full-time on the it is a full-time job and he was like <laughs> darling soon darling soon darling and then when we went into lockdown prior to that me and Rob had only ever interviewed people in person we went to a studio or we went to the houses with equipment and we'd never worked out how to do it remotely but suddenly in the lockdown we were given the gift of being locked in and working out remotely and suddenly everybody was available so I said to Elton hey you are locked down obviously you're not doing anything I don't think as is the rest of the world. How about you come on the podcast now? And he was like, yeah, why not? So we suddenly had this real opportunity to connect to everybody and we knew exactly what they were doing. They were doing nothing like like the rest of the planet. And it was it was a fertile ground to kind of connect to people in. Yeah, the other special thing about Elton is he made that decision himself. I love the fact that I think a lot of his um, kind of success comes from the fact that he listens to so much new music, but bands none of us have ever even heard of yet. He like hears yeah. their demos, you know, from their managers before they're even released and mm. contacts those people and supports them. But it's not just music artists. He also supports contemporary artists. And like there's loads of photographers that we know and painters who have met Elton like really young in their careers. And he's the one driving all of that and it was him who wanted to come on the podcast and like I, I always assumed that big stars like that have these kind of press agents and people that strategically yeah. tell them you know exactly every move they should be making but I think the greats actually dictate that for themselves he's so giving Elton isn't he I mean he's like you know he has this reputation for being a diva but every time I've met him he's been so gracious and so supportive of new people coming through I remember one of my first gigs I did for an AIDS charity at Royal Albert Hall and I did my stuff and he was headlining at the end and he played you know amazing on the piano then he called us all out and then uh, people don't know this but um, my, my dad's a football manager and actually sold Elton John a player from when he was at Watford the chairman so Elton 
calls me over as he's playing piano. Alan, how's your dad? And I was like, oh, yes, he's good like this. I'm like, Elton John talking to me. I should be tasered. Why are you talking to me? <laughs> and, he was, and of course, everyone in the audience is thinking, oh, I bet they're talking about cock or bumming or something. But we, were like, we were talking about Watford and football and, uh, and, and players' career. But I've always had him so lovely and warm. And yeah, it's, same. Uh, and, it's, and it comes across in the interview as well. Of, he's clearly passionate. And that's one thing. You've got so many amazing names on here. Tracy Emin, uh, Dame Rachel White, Grayson Perry, Stephen Fryman. Did you find they all had one thing in common? Did you find they had a certain quirk? Because when I'm reading the interviews, I get this sense of collecting, archiving, keeping. Did you find that? Did they all have one little quirk that drove them all together? God, that's really interesting. Well, I mean, the the quirk is art, isn't it? Fundamentally, that brings everyone together. But what if they have any sort of like eccentricities or something that everybody shares? I think I they're think all they're really got fashion, but I mean, I'm fascinated by the yeah. collector thing. They all seem to want to yeah. ar- archive, you know, keep protect stuff. things, yes. have things around you. And I mean, that's what me and Rob have. So I guess we do connect to them people more because we have that same drive to, you know, bring stuff into our lives and have stuff around us that makes us feel good. But yeah, it's, it is a weird – collecting is such a weird phenomenon that they've done like – you know, they look back at your childhood and at one point we had a guest on that said uh, that they thought if you got out of your nappy too soon or you had your nappy on for too long, it suddenly made you a collector. It was qu- quite a weird like Freudian thing that apparently, <laughs> apparently if you had a nappy on for too long that you would start buying art. But it yeah. was – I don't I don't know what, what the connective thing is really, but it, it is definitely – a certain nuance that art has. I think it's also like a search for meaning, and 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 some they're, they're all very purposeful people. And you've got people like Paul Smith. We actually went to his headquarters in Covent Garden in London, or near Covent Garden. Um, and every wall, every single inch of the walls, from the floor to the ceiling, was covered in art. And it wasn't really about fashion. His whole building was about art. You know, it's like this yeah. huge collection of drawings, paintings, photographs. They all have these personal stories. And there's pictures in the book actually of when we went to meet him. And and I think. There's definitely something of like this cocooning um, around you of like of creativity and that kind of bubble. And I feel like that in his studio provokes him to then think differently, to think, you know, how can I make this shirt? How can I make this suit? What color will I make it? You know, because color is such a big thing for him. And I saw him say a quote last week that said something like, if you're successful in your job, you always need to have um, a few outside um, kind of like hobbies, essentially, but things that you really passionately are obsessed with. And he's obsessed with like cycling and photographing and interviewing, he said, like those three things. And that those things then inform what he does. And I think if you think of someone like Tracy, Tracy does collect, but not art as much. I mean, she has some other artists, as she calls them, other artists. Um, in, in her archive, she has loads of other artists. But um, I think for her, she has this kind of um, way that she cannot stop making. You know, even when she was really ill after her cancer, like she spent a few years here in Margate afterwards, and she was always drawing in books, anywhere she could. And there's some kind of need to express herself. And in the same way, she ends up filling spaces, you know, like her studios are just filled with paintings. And she also surrounds herself with her own art. So there is some kind of connection psychologically. And it definitely has to do with this kind of like... Um, 
Russell, is that your dogs? Yeah, I was going to close this door. Two seconds. As someone some fallen kind down of, the um, stairs, Russell. I know, it did sound like that. It was like, <laughs> what the hell is that? Was someone like in a shell suit slowly falling down some stairs. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, and, and there's definitely something about this need to create and then also yeah. the need to get inspiration. And I think that's what's so great about these conversations is, you know, we've done like hundreds of interviews now and they're all like an hour and a half long. And at the beginning of every one, you know, sometimes you're like, we're doing another one. And then by the end of it, you feel so high and elated yeah. and thrilled. And both of us phone each other going like, Russ, I can't believe we spoke to that person. Like recently we met Sharon Stone. And Sharon, you know, obviously basically, instinct all these amazing movies and her incredible career but she was so political so inspired and so kind of alive and vital that i and left she that makes buzzing. art and she makes she art make, yeah and so yeah. Uh, you going back to the question you're asking about how they come on why people want to come on it's because they we kind of give them a platform like you're saying you're, you're discovering about elton john and pierce brosnan we're giving them a platform to talk about something that they absolutely love and are passionate about, but they haven't really had the outlet anywhere to really talk about it because they talk about, you know, parenthesis, their day job, where they're acting in or that, or they're a singer. And that's what people want to connect to. But we're trying to get under the skin of what makes them tick. And for so many of these people, it is art. And you deliberately didn't want, you know, you were told, don't know more than 30 minutes. People have an attention span. But, you know, you can't just confine these creative people to 30 minutes. Come on, that's ridiculous. How insulting to say to like Elton John. Only half hour. You've got nothing more to say after 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, ridiculous. But I mean, that's the joy of it, isn't it? You let people talk. And it's not just about the art, is it? You like you go to their home. And what Tracy Emin has done to Margate, I mean, it's always been on the map. But I mean, I've gone to the, the Turner Museum, isn't it? You know, that you get. I mean, she's almost that creativity is sort of spilled out into the streets of Margate. Margate is a place to go if you want to see good art. Absolutely. Well, that's why me and Rob are down there all the time. We've both got places down there. Rob lives down there permanently. And absolutely, like Tracy returning to Margate has given the town magic. You know, it's really incredibly special. And that and that's, you know, she has this phrase where wherever art goes, uh, what's the term? What's she saying? It's like um, wherever art goes, industry follows. That's right. And she really believes that art um, leads the way for all other creativity. So that if you think of it like some kind of weird pyramid, but not, not that anything's better than another thing, but I think there is something kind of spiritual in a way about art. It's kind of so much about the soul and um, new ideas and things that have never happened before. And she believes that if, if art can thrive and be supportive, particularly by governments, by even local like councils communities um if you allow art to thrive and grow for example in margate they've recently there's an organization called rise up cleanup who clean up all the waste on beaches and it's just all volunteer volunteers they go around every day and pick up anything they see anywhere and clean up the town and they did this big campaign like doing murals all on disused buildings around margate and now when you drive around margate whether you like or don't like the artworks kind of irrelevant it's more like there's art all around you and it kind of picks up your day and it's those little examples that I think it opens up um, for other industries like fashion, design, um, just all different worlds that are creative to get inspired. And it kind of clears the space. Art kind of somehow can make space for other creativity, which is a kind of a cool thing. Now, something I read in the interview that really fascinated me, and I've got to ask you, have you two either had Stendhal syndrome? Where we where you collapse in front of a painting? Yes, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that one. I was like, what is that? Stendhal's. Yeah. I mean, That's very you know, Stephen. I know. I mean, 
I've interviewed Stephen Fry on, on Chatty Man and he is so clever. Did you feel a bit intimidated? It's a bit like my mum when she used to go to parents' evening and start speaking to, like, you know, the English teacher. My mum would go, 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 go. Just, 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 just. Suddenly, you know, couldn't even speak English anymore. <laughs> I always feel really comforted by him. Like, like it's, mm. his conversations are like a giant hug. And we yeah. actually spoke to him during, during the pandemic. And it was this really long, free-flowing sort of intellectual stream of consciousness. And it was beautiful. And I remember describing him in the intro, like a lighthouse and that to me somehow yeah. he he'd kind of like you know shone this light like out across the world or something he's just this kind of i don't know i, I find Point him incredibly safety, isn't he in some ways yeah. Like, yeah cultural safety but he said this amazing story that stuck with me that he was he was saying a story he was in Gracho Club with Gilbert and George and Francis Bacon and they were all drinking <laughs> wow. and at one point he turned around and he went right I'm going to go home and Gilbert and George went oh don't go home you fucker stay out and he was like no I'm going to go I'm going to go and Francis Bacon turned to him and went oh you've got a, a little man and he went what do you mean I've got a little man he said you've got a little man that says to you come on time to go home look after yourself yeah. he said some people haven't got that little man you look after him and he said that and I went, I've got that little man. I've got that little man, that little voice in your head that goes, go home, make sure you sleep, make sure you shower, eat properly, have water. Do you know what I mean? And some people don't have that little man. And it really, when he said that story, it really affected me. And Can these I borrow sort of your little man? Up. Can I borrow your little man? <laughs> You've definitely got a little man. I have the voice of authority. You. <laughs> <laughs> Leave my little man out of this. And <laughs> So have you had have you had Stendhal syndrome? Have you passed out? Have you as a bit as there been an artwork that's moved you? I'll start. I'll say, but I've never passed out during a piece of art. But there is one thing. I mean, any Klimt Gustav Klimt. I love his stuff. I mean, I think you know that could that could easily make you pass out. I think. I think there's moments where my breast taken away absolutely and there's there was a there's a picasso painting that's in the moma collection called night fish and antibes and it was painted in 1939 just before the war broke out and it's the same scale as guernica but it's not as well known and i'd only ever seen it in books and it's the way that it's been in books is there's a lot smaller and you can't get it and when i saw it in the flesh it took my breath away and it was awe-inspiring and it was one of these paintings that i was just so taken aback that it existed and it was there in front of me and I felt like an instant rush of privilege that I was able to stand in front of this image and there it was and I could go really close and look at the paintbrushing and it's there for us and so there's these these artworks happen you know like to that level rarely but they do happen. We've had lots of guests on that, you know, Rothko is the one that people say they have the Rothko effects. Oh, they yeah, send, Pedro Pascal. In, Pedro Pascal said that, you know, <clears throat> sit in front of a Rothko. And we're sort of programmed to know that a Rothko is going to move you. So I guess whenever I see a Rothko, I sit there and I purposefully go like, come on then, what is it? Am I going to feel anything? Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Because you're, pre- you're told, you're programmed. Because Stephen Fry in the interview as well says that, you know, some uh, paintings are like rock stars. And I mean, and listen... It, that's true. I mean, when you go to the Louvre, it does break my heart when you just see a sea of selfie sticks taking pictures of the Mona Lisa and all that. And yes, well, you I can't even get to it. Of, it's I normally know. just like a scrum. 
yes, like a scrum of people. It, and it's so depressing because there's, I think there's like the gorgeous Caravaggio's just down the thing that no one's even looking at and stuff. And I mean, it is depressing. I mean, where do you stand on these rock stars? Obviously, they've earned their place, these paintings. But, you know, you do wish you're, that people are just believing what they're told. And they, that's not really creativity, is it, when it comes to art? You've got to make your own mind up, surely. I think it's about an access. And I think we're told about these certain paintings, Da Vinci's, you know, Mona Lisa, Michelangelo, Sistine Chapel, these iconic art historical things that exist. And if that's an access point, that's amazing. And I think that's what, you know, with the podcast where we, we were listing really big superstar names then, but the fact is, is that we have no hierarchy on talk art. We have these big superstar names. It brings in people who might not have known anything about art or care about art, but suddenly they want to listen to this interview with this person they love who's famous talking about art and then they might stick around and then the next week is a super emerging artist who's just started their career, who's just graduated, might still be in education and they might stick around for that and be like, oh, that's interesting and suddenly they don't realise but it's a kind of Trojan horse, this podcast getting into their ears because yeah. they're, they're being shown that like so many opportunities to discover art on every level and that the fact that this is a conduit with that talk art we see ourselves as this conduit to discovery it is again i keep using the word privilege but it really really is and also in the uk so many museums are free to get into and i think a lot of people don't even know that or they feel this kind of fear of crossing the threshold but once you do if you do get in there because you want to go and see i don't know like a yayo kasama um you know infinity room one of those amazing rooms that you walk into and it's a kind of theatrical experience almost um i think those things are great but the thing you have to remember is look around like you know don't just see that one thing go into that museum spend i don't know half an hour and see if you find anything else you like because the the great thing about looking is that you'll discover something that you never knew and that actually reveals something about yourself. I remember for me going to the Tate Modern in about 2001 when they had a huge retrospective of Frida Kahlo and I was looking at all these paintings and I was so moved by each and every one of them. It was a bit like my Rothko moment but with Frida you know there in front of these paintings with this person that I felt so connected to and then I went around again and again and again and the security were like who are you? Are you going to steal a painting? It was like really silly i spent hours going round and round it and my yeah. favorite painting in there is the one that madonna owns who incidentally is now listening to the podcast and followed us recently oh. the one and only queen of pop we love her but she she owns a, a two two or three birth, isn't, it birth, isn't the one with the, it's on the bed isn't it with the legs open and that's the, right yes i yeah. heard that my wow. birth yeah. And that one literally took my breath away because it's so much about the cycle of life, about trauma, sadness. The mother has died and has like a sheet over her head, I think. And then it's Frida as an adult almost being born. And you see this kind of baby being born. And it's just, it's such an amazing painting. And it's so much about the whole life experience, but also about being a woman, I think. And and I, I just feel like she was so far ahead of the game and um, real pioneer for like women's rights and for kind of, you know, telling the stories of um, very personal things at a time when you couldn't really. And also politics as well, um, which is something as well, I think, as a subcurrent within talk art is really important to us this idea of kind of social change, pushing things on in a way that's really sort of meaningful and lasting. And speaking of Frida Kahlo, when I was in Mexico, I went to see um, the murals of Diego Rivera. I mean, that to that, I mean, politics, but also 
breathtaking, breathtaking, yeah. huge. And I mean, I love the way he just you know, pops, pops Frieda in there, then Lenin, like, just la la la. But I mean, <laughs> I mean they are really, really powerful. I mean, and I'm like the least political person going, but even I felt like moved. Even I felt like buying a socialist worker or something, do you know what I mean? And going on a strike. <laughs> it was just something <laughs> But there's just something powerful about it. I mean, you're also, also saying about going into um, museums and art galleries and everything. There was an artist, and this is the joy of your book, you do discover new ones. And I, I'm thinking, I didn't realise, but you got Shaila Kamari Singh Berman, who I didn't realise was the one that did the... Um, Outside Tate Britain. Yes, yes. And you talk about, you know, anyone can go into um, a museum, but this was outside. You can enjoy it even if you can't be asked to go in a museum. And that is that's the great <laughs> thing. No, you know, I mean, that's the great thing about London. You can find art everywhere. I mean, that, you yeah, know, public art. Yeah, public art. She, yes. that, that was up during the lockdown. It was like being at a festival when you went down there, socially distanced, of course, but everybody was so starved of culture that people were heading down there, driving past just to be outside the Tate Britain, to be outside this artwork and to be able to interact with it and connect to other people through art. It was really an incredible moment in history, an incredible moment in her career. She says that was definitely a turning point for uh, the way that people saw her work and her art. Yeah, and I've always seen her as an incredibly political artist, but also um, a collage artist in many ways. And you you might not realise that straight away, but like when you actually start to even look at that light installation, it's made up of all these tiles, all these kind of like different um, lights that, that are almost like stickers or something. And they, mm. they kind of get, you know, to create a bigger image. And it's very much coming from that kind of collage history. It's yeah. really cool. And she talks about being very proudly working class, which is something that, you know, I, I, I kind of connect to definitely and, and she's an artist that the way that art can sort of jump class you know the way that you an artist can be working class but yet they can then be in the Tate Britain which is seen as like very lofty and very academic and very you know and that's what again talk arts try to break down is this academic approach to art and this this elitist yeah. approach to art and suddenly she's she's there going I'm, I'm working class and there I am and I've made this artwork outside the Tate Britain like at the national collection and there I am and that is really just incredible what do you say to people who want to get into art? Maybe they've, they've bought your book or they've listened to a couple of episodes and they want to get into art. How, what, what would you say? Just see as much as you can, go to the table, what? Go well, to I, I think the thing is, is that I think people are so intimidated, as myself and Rob was when we went to the art world, of going into galleries, going into commercial galleries especially, because you walk in and they're very kind of quite somber and there might be a security guard there and then the vigilator sat there and someone at the front desk and you suddenly feel like you're not welcome. I remember going in and, and, and apologizing, go, sorry. And I sort of go around and then sort of be as quick as possible and leave and just feel like, sorry, I took up the space. But the reality is, is that I feel sorry for my younger self for doing that because now I would not do that at all because I realized that the art that's in there the artists that are making the art want me to be there. And whatever this fortress is that's being built around the actual artwork, the artist wants to connect to as many people as possible. That's why they're making their art. They want people to know their stories. So know whatever intimidation you're feeling or however you feel like it isn't for you, the person who's on the walls or on the floor in there or is in films in there or the sound or anything wants you there. Yeah. And also art is about life. 
And like I stopped um, learning art, like actual making art, like drawing or painting at the age of 11. And yet I now run an art gallery. Do you know what I mean? I didn't really have much um, formal art history at all or any art education. It was just reading a few books here and there, particularly the ones about Frida. But it was that passion I had for those stories in a way. And I think that's what people need to remember is I often get people coming up to me and they hear I run a gallery and they're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I don't know anything about art because I never learned anything. But what I think the point is is that if you've lived a life we all have different experiences we all have traumas we all have joys we all have loves and we've all lost love as well and i think that is what art is it's telling stories of our existence of humanity and that's what's so amazing and revelatory about going into one of these free museums and even to a commercial gallery where a lot of the shows are brand you know brand new works have just been uh, created or commissioned but it's free to get in you don't have to pay anything so all you need to do is you could probably walk there even how many times have we also had guests on that have said, I know nothing about art, I can't come and talk art, and they feel intimidated, and suddenly it becomes this incredibly like complex and like profound and wonderful, engaging conversation about art, about yeah. how art affects them. And they didn't even realise. I don't think people realise what you know we're being surrounded by. We're surrounded by public art all the time because it's there to make our lives better, and it's peripheral for I so think long. Pe- people look at art like a pub quiz, like there's wrong and right answers, but... You know what yes. I mean? There's not really. You know, if you, enjoy it if it doesn't move you. If you go and see the Mona Lisa and like you're not crying, that's nothing wrong with that. That's just not your thing. You might see a Jackson Pollock and then burst into tears at that. And you don't even need to burst into tears. You can just go, oh, that's given me. Because I was talking then about that, you know, what would we say, that syndrome where you collapse. I mean, I've always mm. seen Jackson Pollock in books. And it's never really moved me, but I went to an exhibition of his and those huge ones, they are proper boom, aren't they? They are I get it. Yeah. I really do get it when you see They're like that. constellations, that. aren't they? Yeah, yeah. infinite. Yeah, and also yeah, energy. Yeah. I think it's so much about life force and kind of highs and lows of what it is to be a human in a way. And if you th- like Russell mentioned, if you think of one of the first ever interviews we ever did, I mentioned him earlier, but Pedro Pascal, who's obviously now known for Last of Us and has become oh, this kind okay. of global yeah. superstar, our friend like Pedro, as I call him, yeah. like, yes. like like you, Alan, you are yeah. you are our global other global icon. superstar you friends. Are. But um, <laughs> Pedro. People listening to this will think that I've told you to say this shit. <laughs> you have. <laughs> you liar. <laughs> a lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Get over yourself. No, carry on. Sorry. <laughs> 
So Pedro, Pedro was one of those people who was like, I don't know anything about art. And then the minute he started talking to us, he had so many stories and really like personal moments of kind of like um, after September the 11th, for example, he went to the museum, I think it was MoMA in New York, and he cried in front of a Rothko. And then he was obsessed with like a Goya painting of a dog. And um, there were just all these kind of stories within his life that came to life through these artworks. And it's really interesting how he could pinpoint these very significant memories like green or love or different things, you know, through art. And also people like Pierce Brosnan, who, who we interviewed, like he um, has had incredible amounts of grief and loss within his personal life. Like he lost his wife and then his daughter to the same cancer. And painting for him became this kind of therapeutic thing. It was a way for him to escape from his everyday job um, of acting, but also escape from all of the feelings he was feeling. And, and I think he brings so much joy to other people through that. My dad actually texted me today about uh, that Pierce Brosnan interview because my parents listen to every single episode, well, my mum especially, and she gives a review. And if it's a good review from my mum, I think that's a good episode because <laughs> that's really connecting. And he texted me today and he said, just read the Pierce Brosnan interview. How lovely was that? I preferred reading it to hearing it on the podcast. You take more in. Think this book will be a big success. Well done, Kiss. Aww. And I was like, that, that for me was just so moving that yeah. for my dad to connect like that to this well to James Bond you know yeah. but the actual art and how how that how you see this different side of people because of art because he says in the he says in the interview doesn't he he says I want color I needed color he had that bad the bad news and he went straight to his canvas I mean, isn't it amazing that he, you know, you can conjure up yourself. I mean, I wouldn't know what to do if I wanted that, but, you know, to be that talented, to be able to paint and go, right, I need colour, I want colour, give me colour. Isn't it funny how he used that as a way to lift his mood? Yeah. He's the reason we have the art heist question at the end because of, you know, the Thomas Crown affair, which is Pierce Brosnan. And <laughs> My favourite like, movie. <laughs> yeah, and suddenly it was like, we can ask, you know, everybody what their favourite art heist is because of that. And then when we had him on, it was literally like, oh my God, you're the reason we have this question. Here we go. <laughs> well, do you know, I heard a story now. I don't know if you've if you covered this, but I don't even know if I can even mention it. But did you go to his house and interview him? Was it... No, we, we did it again. That was a remote one, but he was in uh, one of the Hawaii islands, Kalua. I want to say that. Is it Kauai? Kauai? No, that's, a, that's anyway, an alcoholic he's... beverage. <laughs> <laughs> Malibu was he or tequila Bailey's oh the breeze Tim Maria but he was um, we managed to speak to him remotely but he was in his, his studio so every everywhere he lived he had a studio and when he was filming all the movies he would make sure that he had a studio that was at the side of the movie lot so between setups he would go and paint and then go back and film these big action sequences which is so fascinating but my friend worked with him and was at his house. And um, I don't know if he mentioned this. I mean, I don't know if he wants to mention it, but she said, oh, she said, you've got a Monet here and it's right in the way of the sun, you know, and you've got, that's going to fade. That's it. He went, oh, no, they're all from the Thomas Crown affair, aren't they? Oh, he yes. Got, he got to keep Yeah, I think he Lord. kept a lot of stuff. Yes. And yeah, she all, like, the, all the I don't tell you what to do, but this £100 Monet. million pound Monet shouldn't really be next <laughs> to that patio door. It should be direct sunlight. <laughs> <laughs> Monet looking oh, down was so really good. pissed off. Um, <laughs> so who is on your wish list? Who is on your wish list? So we have, um, you know, Torquart, the third volume. Who do you want on there? Obviously, Madonna listens, the Queen of Pop. We've got to have her on. Who else? 
we'd love to have Madonna, yeah. And um, Russ met her recently in LA, so that looks like it could actually happen in the real world. Yeah, um, I met her, yeah. But um, Dave, David Hockney's been their wish list from the beginning um, yeah, because he's like art history. He he crosses decades. He knew everyone. He knows everyone. He's someone who's innovative. He The iPad paintings, he picked up the iPad and he made that an art form. Incredible. This whole immersive thing that's happening right now in London is just phenomenal. He is, and, and he's so, you know, working class, you know, and yeah. he's so Northern and he's, and he's held on to that. And yet he became like a superstar in LA and made hundreds of millions of pounds, but he just held on to this quality and i think it's so fascinating that would be the dream to talk to him and also frank Auerbach. he's still going he's still going yeah he's in his 90s he's in his yeah, studio every day and he's actually creative. just done interviews in new york times and i think it was the uh telegraph i think or the independent and i've I, i'm just messaged a gallery owner and i said please do you think there's any way that we can sort of turn up at his studio and interview him that would be amazing I, I love David Hockney, David yeah. Hockney as well, because he, he drew since he was like three years old. And apparently he used to draw on the kitchen floor and his parents would constantly be like, what are you doing? Because he'd just draw yeah. on anything he could. I think he'd like drew on the doors or something in his kitchen. Do you know what I mean? Like just yeah. he, he has this urgent need to make art. And I love that about David Hockney. The other person we really want is Marina Abramovich, the incredible performance artist and photographer and filmmaker and everything else that she's done. And we're, we're in talks at the moment to interview her um, later in the year. And I really can't wait for that. I love that quote from David Hockney when someone said, you know, what was it like growing up gay in Bradford? He said, I didn't grow up in Bradford. I grew up in Bohemia. And <laughs> <laughs> What a legend. I know, what a oh. great thing, you know, to live in your own world and just like yeah, wonderful. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Now listen, say, I don't even know if you could do this, but say you get a phone call and it was Banksy. A, how would you know it was Banksy? B, would you still go for it? Cause, <laughs> Not you. Because <laughs> you know I'm Banksy, you know I'm Banksy. <laughs> oh, and, yeah. Dar and Daft Punk and Stig. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it all along. <laughs> all <of them>. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone whose face is obscured, I pretend to be. No, I mean, we're, we're, have you had Banksy approach you? There was a weird, there was a weird like moment where there was potential, and then we were going to use like a voice decoder thing where he was <laughs> going to talk to us through the voice decoder, and we were never going to meet him. But yet, it was still going to be Banksy, but it didn't really happen. But I think it would. It would be like a groundbreaking interview God, I mean, if you managed I actually to get... did um, PR around some of his early stuff. So I did a collaboration with Greenpeace um, back in like 2001 or something when he did the Jungle Book image. And that was for a show that I was part of. And we never got to meet him. And there was always this um, woman, I've totally forgotten her name. She was really nice though. And she was almost like his manager. And people realized that she was his manager at one point and then started following her home and like, oh, following her everywhere to see if they could get to Banksy but they, they never found him through her so it's like really intense I think being involved in that universe and I remember when he did the girl with the red balloon for the first time and I think it was on the south bank and we did this show in the Oxo Tower and it was around a similar time and we we worked on this book as well that he did um 
what's it called? Banging your head against a brick wall or something. So it's like really early days, but he always had this need to sort of share and create. And I think he's amazing. And I love, I love how he aligns himself with political causes. Like recently he did one here in Margate and it was highlighting on Valentine's Day domestic abuse and the local charity here called Oasis. And I just think it's a brilliant thing if art can be aligned in a, in a way to a social cause. Isn't he amazing as well, Banksy, the fact that in the, this day and age with so much social media and security cameras and everything that this guy who makes his artworks can evade uh, anybody knowing who he is. What isn't that the, the most like filmic, amazing anomaly in in modern culture that that actually exists? Well, I do a lot of my work. Oh, sorry, I, he does a lot of his work. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, Alan? Yeah. I've just realised it is you because <laughs> in the Christie's auction that time or Sotheby's, whatever it was, where he had that 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 girl with the red shredded. balloon, and then it got shredded. Yes. And so it's, there's a huge wit behind what he does. I think yes. it's Alan Carr. I think yes, just yeah. unveiled who Banksy is. Yeah, and the shredder was in the same shape as my teeth. So there was a little... Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, you gave it away! Oh no! Oh, oh no. Was you inside it? Were you inside the <laughs> yeah. shredder? Yeah, chewing it, right. chewing it with my teeth. Chatting, chatty, chatty, chatting. Chatting, chatting, chatting. Um, so tell us about Jerry Saltz in the book. I love Jerry Saltz. He is a renowned art critic and it's nice to have him in the book because it's kind of a different side of the art world, like not necessarily an, an artist, but someone who's just as obsessed with art as we are. And I adore him because he started his career um, as a kind of van or truck driver and he would like do these long distance journeys across America, often transporting artworks. And he got into learning about art history and art through his truck driving, no joke. I think he used to like read um, in the you know truck <coughs> stations or whatever when you're refueling. And then he would learn about the artists and and he got to know all the gallerists and all the curators and all the different people. And it kind of became this huge like map in America from all his journeys. I just think it's extraordinary. And it shows you that you really can, you know, evolve and change the older you get. Like he's become a superstar. Foremost art critic. Yeah. Foremost art critic. And he's globally, his books are like, um, you know, selling all over the world. And I just think he brings a lot of joy to people and he has a real sense of humor as well. So I was really proud to have him in the book. And, and also art can be addictive. Art can be ad- addictive as well. And there's that famous thing as well. You know, if you do collect art, you've got two art collections. You've got the one on your wall and then you've also got the one in your head, the art you didn't get that you, and it can become an obsession, can't it? Yes, it Russell, can. it can, can't it? It is, shoulda, woulda, Russell could, can't sleep shoulda, at woulda, night. coulda. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but you, you sound like you know a lot about art, Alan. You you are an art lover, aren't you? Yeah, I love art. I love art. I do. I, I go always go to a museum. I went to um, Florence the other week just to go to the Uffizi. I never get it right. Uffizi. Really? Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So fancy. Yeah, and I went with a, I went with a friend who didn't like art, and I don't really know. I sh- I'm going to burst into flames saying this on Talk Art, but I got I got a lady to show us all the way around and my friend wasn't interested. And we got to the end and the woman said, so that is the end. Do you have any questions? She said, do you know where the nearest vape shop is? I was... <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I was like, that is art, Alan. Yeah, That's I was like, art. please, oh not God. now, not now. But I, I, <laughs> I, love, I know, I was so embarrassed, so embarrassed. The title uh, of that work is um is untitled brackets <laughs> vape brackets twenty twenty three. I know, but listen, I mean, you don't even have to go into an art gallery to see uh 
to see art there. And I mean, I love it. Is it, is it Cellini, the Perseus one opposite David, holding up the Gorgon's head in the square? I mean, yeah, I mean, you just walk around with your eyes on there. But I do love art. And like I said, you know, when I went to Mexico, I definitely checked out, you know, Diego Rivera and... Um, yeah, I want to go to, during COVID, I listened to those Frick talks, you know, the Frick, they picked a yes. certain, that was, I mean, I didn't even, listen. I didn't even know anything about the Frick. So um, I'm definitely going to go there to New York and, and see that. I mean, I often check into a gallery. I love it. I am obsessed with the Bloomsbury set. I love all that, you know, Duncan Grant, Vanessa Bell and that. And I mean... It's one of the, they're one of those things, really. You know, with the backstory, how they all knew and got you know got on with each other and got off with each other. So I mean, I love anything like that. And um, I went down to Charleston, which is uh, it's near Furl, Furl, F I R L E, Furl, and it is just you imagine Virginia Woolf is going to come through that door any minute. I mean, it is just like it was when she was there. The bed where she died, Vanessa Bell slept, which is ill. Oh, my God, it was just amazing, amazing. I love them. I love anything like that. That would be amazing to have one of their paintings. <laughs> Let's ask you some of the talk art questions then for the end, surely. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you it. could do an it's art terrified. heist, if you could do an art heist and you could have any work of art in the world for yourself, you could steal mm -hmm. it nicely, what would it be and why? Okay, what would it be? Um, Gustav Klimt, I love that. Um, I do have a bit morbid taste. I like that one where... Oh, my God, I'll talk about this one in the Uffizi. Oh, my God. It's, they're back to back. The man's got a hooked nose. All, all in red. He's one of the Medicis. And he lost an eye in a jousting um, contest. And because he was a fighter, he sawed the top of his nose off so he could look with his right eye to see whether... It's quite a famous one. And he's looking across his, his wife, and his wife's very pale, which I know is what you do, what, how you painted them back then in the Renaissance. But then if you look, there is a line under her cheek where she's dead, and she's and he wanted her as if she was alive. And it's so, and he's basic. It's the weirdest painting ever, and it's a classic, and it's in uh, 1400s, one of the Medicis, and he's looking. He's got the weirdest nose ever, but he's had that nose bit cut off. It's fascinating. Wow. But then I also like that wow. clip one where the woman's dead and they and he painted her as if she's alive. I love anything morbid. But you'd want to live with those in your house. All right, now you've made me look like a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> I'd put wasn't them it, in the window. It, you know when some people put like a picture of an owl in the window? In the window? Yeah. They're quite scary. I live here and I've got a bit of a nose. <laughs> <laughs> in direct sunlight yeah uh, yeah yeah yeah, so yeah. <laughs> is his name fred federico de montefeltro yes 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 yes, yes yes that's it federico da that's, montefeltro that's it he's not medici no but i mean he's, he, i think it was um no he's a montefeltro but yeah. he was a great renaissance condottorio which is a warlord I get the impression and, um, you're reading this from Wikipedia. I'm just having a guess. I'm not actually. I'm on the Uffizi official oh. website. I'm very chic. Um, yeah. I think wow. it's, amazing, it's like an amazing painting. I had no painting. idea that you liked like, Renaissance painting and the Bloomsbury set. This is so fascinating, Alan, oh, that this is like a side of you. This is, this is why you need to come on and talk art and do your own specific episode because this Cl is like... Klimt is very romantic in some way as well. Where have you seen Klimt? Did you see it in Vienna? Yeah, yeah. I went there... Um, ages ago and then of course Egon Schiele I mean that's funny about Vienna isn't it like Egon Schiele and all of that and um 
Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I mean, I was I just pick things up and like that. There's amazing Frida Kahlo documentary that I um, you know, visit the Blue House, you know, in Mexico and everything. So yeah, I always go. There is, do you know how like that for me seeing art? I totally get it, and that's why I love the book because the pictures are so gorgeous in your book. You know, it's closest you're going to come to seeing them. I mean, there's just. Uh, yeah, it just make me feel nice and and make me think and like as you said, what I've described. I like when there's clues in there. I like there's always a clue, you know, or something. I like like a little bit of mystery. Why have they done that? A story you know, within the painting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So more, like... more figurative than abstract. Then you wouldn't really be going for like simple minimalism or geometric abstraction if. You're more no. attached to like the Renaissance storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Also, like you know about like um, you know Edvard. Is it Monk or Munch? I never know how to say it. <laughs> he, he loves yeah, it's Monster Munch. Monster His nickname Munch. was Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Even Lady Gaga yeah. wrote a song about it. <laughs> he actually liked the fact that his paintings had a life, and you know one of them was stolen and got a dent in it. I love that he actually liked it when his painting lived a life and got, you know, wasn't wrapped in bubble wrap and I'm not sure wasn't invented when he was around, but you know, that kind of thing. He liked, I like, yeah, I like the madcap things. Mm. I, I like the fact that these kind of personal moments and these dramatic stories from history get kind of encapsulated in these objects. Like the one you were talking about from the Uffizi, there's a note here where it says this is maybe the first ever nose job that we know about in mankind. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like these kind of like historic um, moments. And in our book, when we interviewed Wolfgang Tillmans, um, that was also during the pandemic. And it became very like personal, the conversation. And there's this amazing photograph of all of his HIV medication where he'd stored every single bottle and then kept them all in a box. And then one day took a picture of the box. And I think there's moments like that which are so much of our time and these kind of documents of humanity and very personal stories uh, in a different way to those times you know 1400s but but I feel like the moments now are just as vital and important but and all need art, to be documented all art yeah. was contemporary you know when that was made it was contemporary art exactly at the yeah. time yeah yeah but they are they are these time capsules good art like you're talking about Wolfgang Tillmans that was called the 17 years supply these paintings from the renaissance they are time capsules when art is made it secures it like it like keeps that alive that one moment in history that it existed and it took to make that painting i love the fact he's lost an eye and he's gone do you know what take the top of me nose because <laughs> I he's I practical. Love, he's yeah. He's on a, he's on a, yeah, he's no. on a mission. Yeah, he's I got be work, like, work must be done. I would be like, whoa, 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 whoa! I've lost an eye. No more fighting for me. But no, let's keep on going. It's only a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> what's your uh, What's your favorite color? Favorite color. Um, it's a hard question, isn't it? It is. Have you ever read that book? Was by Julian Barnes, the man in the red coat. I love that red, that Stanley Spencer one. Mm. And oh, I'm talking about, you know, when there's clues in a in a painting, he's got this really large tassel right near his groin. And he was a, a gynecologist. And I think he used to muck around with some of his uh, <gasps> his painters. But you see what I mean? I, I like that where you look at it and then you go, oh, they're always planting little seeds and little... 
Easter eggs, they call them, don't they? Little like, yeah, um, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, like in computer games. Yeah. yeah, do you like that? You see that, like the way that the tassel is just hanging there. And of course, he's right. Uh, what, what's his Who's the man who wrote it? It's a singer sergeant painting. Singer sergeant. Oh, I think that's his but it's St. Yeah. John Singer Sergeant, who also did Madame X, you know, when. You you know with the he put the he put the strap back up on her arm because it was too much. Anywhere there's little clues like that that makes you double take. I love that. What, what, when you do interviews, like we we interview people all the time. What do you feel like? Just from someone who does interviews and you're interviewing us and everything, do you feel like um, a responsibility to your guests or what? What is it you go in with? Because we always, whenever we interview people, we do research separately. And there's two of us, obviously, so it might be easier, but we do research separately. We never share notes and then we go into the interview. But we do feel a responsibility to make sure that the guest feels comfortable because a lot of people are nervous. A lot of people don't know what to expect. But what do you feel like when you interview people? What is your kind of skill set for getting the best out of people? But, but, you know, it, it's, a bit like, it's a bit like your, your book that, you know, you sent me and I'm interviewing about now. And, you know, when I did Ch- uh, Chatty Man and when I did it, there is this agenda to try and get the most juiciest, salacious thing out of them. Now, I was always against that. I always like finding out what's their hobbies. It's like Piers Brosnan with his painting, Elton with the photography, you know, Looking in people's homes, I always, I always liked the other things. I didn't like the salacious stuff. What you do in the bedroom, do you do whatever you want? I don't care who you're shagging or what you do. But I, I, I feel learning new sides of people, uh, I think is always interesting. And I think actually, I think some of these TV people they get it wrong. People want to know what's your book by the bedroom what would you steal if you could go into the louvre what would you do that's what interests me i'm more interested in that the more human side than the salacious stuff so often i would come to loggerheads i'd have them in my ear saying ask them if they had that threesome ask me if they had that threesome but actually <laughs> i want to know what books they read before they go to bed what's the relationship with the mum where do they go on holiday you know I, I feel you get more out of that. And that's what I like. To get, to, I want to give someone a well-rounded, so people finish that interview and go, I know that person. And I think that's yes. what your book's like. I think when you read it, you go, oh, yeah, that's really interesting. I have never knew that about them. That's a good interviewer. Mm. Thanks. Yeah, Alan, that's sure. I've bored you two to death with that answer. No, you haven't. No, you well, we've haven't. got one we more question that. we always ask is, what is the best advice that you have ever received when it comes to your art? Oh, oh I, I can't think. What? 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 Uh, uh, I mean, it's a bit wanky, but like, well, I mean, I, I talk in my stand-up comedy. It's just do jokes that make you laugh, and you'll get your audience. You know, don't try and be. I mean, I just used to go on stage and talk about things. And now I have people who have the same sense of humour come to see my show. In the early days, it was like, boo, get off, you load of crap. <laughs> but, but, you know, I kept on doing it. Your audience will come. Maybe that's it. Your audience will come. And maybe I suppose you can apply that to artists. You know, starting out, people will come, whether it's ceramics or photography. People will come if they like it. Don't change it for anyone. I guess that works for us that. is that if you're true to whatever you do and we have been true to what we love, we talk out on the podcast and we've sort of got this audience now that have come to us because it's genuine and it's authentic and we've stuck to what we love and we are geeks and nerds and we've gone out there and said that and we've brought people in with us and that's the, the, the most wonderful thing. And you've got six million downloads. 
Yeah, we love that as well. Just Robin, yeah, not six thousand, six million. Yeah, Um, yeah. I I also loved it, Russ, when we interviewed like Oliver Hemsley or artists that people don't really know yet, might not even even had exhibitions, um, and who've overcome such kind of amazing personal struggles, but through their art, have kind of you know found a way to communicate and to inspire others um, as well as themselves and I, I don't know I just I'm so proud of this new book it's so exciting well, it, we published authors for a second time Russ it's amazing you should be it's brilliant it's brilliant and the interviews are great and also the the photography and the you know it, the, the quality of it is just great I mean it's the next best thing to seeing it in a gallery so you should be so proud we're gonna put oh, that on thanks, the front Alan. cover thanks Helen that's gonna quote you for that thank you so so much this has been so generous of you coming on today and oh, it's really pleasure. wonderful to connect with you through art and hang out with you and i think it's a a wonderful episode and for everybody listening all the uh, artworks we talked about will be on our instagram alan you're on instagram right yeah i'm on instagram i don't put anything on so don't worry (laughs) (laughs) although you do you have your own podcast oh yeah yeah i do have my travel but i mean probably art and travel is my two uh things i love doing and if i can combine the two then that is an absolute you know dream so yeah yeah heaven and do we have any more do we have any more interior design masters coming up as well oh yeah yeah we're redoing a whole new one um for next year next year so yeah it's been recommissioned again which i'm over the moon about so yeah yeah i love it congratulations oh thank you my love brilliant our new book, Talk Art the Interviews, is out now from the 11th of May and you can get signed copies at Waterstones, but you can also buy it at Amazon or anywhere you like, such as bookshop.org and do support independent bookshops. There's often one in your hometown. I have one in Margate, the Margate Bookshop. So head over to your favourite bookshop and find our new book, Talk Art the Interviews. Thanks everyone Thanks for, for listening. listening. Thanks, Alan. Bye. Thank you, my love. Cheers, love. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.